All right, so here's your, here's your kind of warning to grab the dessert, grab some coffee, grab some tea, grab whatever you need to. Um, yeah, there's, there's more back there, and my wife always says if we bring it home, that's a bad thing. So if you've already had some and you're like waiting to get seconds, go back for seconds, grab more, make it happen, even on your way out, double fist some stuff, take it home with you. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and kind of get through the introductories so we can get to what we're talking about and have a good time here tonight. So welcome to More to Life. Thanks for showing up. Um, just so you know, in the back, there's a lot of literature about building hope, and I'm going to have a building hope rep say something here in just one moment. But there's also a sheet back there that looks like this that kind of asks for some of your information. If you want to know more about More to Life, if you want to be included on... Um, text messages or emails. We sent out some emails with some fun information and links and all kinds of fun different things as well as like our podcast link because we record all of these. And starting next year in 2018, I'm also going to start recording some 15-minute segments that are just me behind a microphone telling some short stories that are going to be a lot of fun. But if you want to get on the mailing list or be included in any of that, fill one of these out. Leave it with us for your information. You can stick it in one of the More to Life tumblers back there. Um, if you want a Tumblr, More to Life, take one. They're free. Like, those are for you, just to remember what we do and who we are. And there's some cards, too, that you can pass out to people just to invite people here, let you know when it happens. Now, it's been a long time since we've actually had a More to Life, because about a little over two weeks ago, I got sick. Uh, really sick. Like, I'm not saying kind of sick. Um, we, you know, we did our tradition of making our boys tromp out into the forest with us and cut down a tree. And my oldest was saying, I don't feel good. I want to stay home. And I'm like, you're a freshman in high school. You just want to get out of this. I completely see where this is going. And he was telling me how bad he felt. And I just didn't buy it, you know. I was like, just take some Advil. Here we go. We're going out. We get home that night, and he's, he's looking pretty bad. Um, he was a trooper with us out there, and then by the, by the end of that night, he's running a fever, so we're like, well, we're not going to school the next day. And then so he stays home, and I take him to the doctor the next day. And I'm one of those guys, when we're going to the doctor, I'm like, no medicine for you. I want the doctor to see how sick you really are, right? Because sometimes you take medicine, then you get there, and they're like, you don't look that bad. <laughs> and you're like, I feel horrible. I'm on medicine. But, so I don't give him anything, and we get into the doctor, and uh, the nurse takes this temp, and she looks at me with this shocked face. She's like, have you taken his temperature today? I said, no. Um, when he's under no medicine. He feels awful, you know? <laughs> and uh, she looks at me. She's like, he's got 104.7. And um, I'm like, well, that explains some of his behavior. <laughs> he hasn't gotten out of bed today. You know, like all these different things. Um, so they bring an Advil for him immediately, and I feel like the bad parent. But then, so he's sick, I bring him home, and then within an hour I get a call from, you know, the school, the grade school, and they're like, hey, your youngest is like, I'm like, oh no. So I go get him, he's sick, he's running a fever. And then my middle kid comes home and like, he's feeling horrible, and then by the end of the night, I'm feeling bad too. And so like, I'm sick the next day, and it's the legitimate flu, we got the flu. My oldest was in bed for seven straight days, um, I was in bed for four, uh, my wife, she's a woman, so she didn't get sick. She's stronger <laughs> than all of us. Good DNA. Um, she took care of us. But I, I'm telling you this story because I want to tell you something. Like, I was like running around, taking care of stuff. I could feel it coming on. I'm feeling it. 
And I'm just getting sick and getting sick. And uh, the next day, I'm laying in bed and I can just feel it, you know. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to stay hydrated and I can't get out of bed. I just feel awful. And Ann comes and she's like, have you taken your temperature yet? And I said, no, I haven't. I haven't had any medicine either. <laughs> I just feel horrible. So she comes in and she, she sticks the, the ear thermometer in my ear. And she pulls it out and she looks at it and she's like, oh my gosh. You know, and she's like, how, how high do you think it is? And I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't know. So this was 104.7. I feel really, uh, 105.1. <laughs> she's like, no, it's 100.8. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, really? Feels a lot worse than that. Like, it feels pretty bad. Now, I tell you that story because right away, here tonight, in the beginning, I'm going to talk about anxiety, and I want to put it out there that anxiety has all sorts of different triggers, all sorts of different ingredients, all sorts of different levels to it. I mean, we're all so different and unique as people, it shouldn't come as a shocker that we experience anxiety in about just that much of diversity. Like, we have unique ways that we encounter and experience anxiety. So when it comes to anxiety, there's like no judging, right? You can't say like, well, I wouldn't feel anxiety in that situation, so I'm not sure what they do. Well, you're not them. There's different triggers. There's different levels of this. So when it comes to anxiety, for me, it's all about awareness and understanding. We experience anxiety in so many unique and diverse ways. And what I mean by that is what feels heavy to one person might feel really light to another. There are those who feel overwhelmed by large crowds. There are those who can't handle small numbers. There are people who feel completely just paralyzed by strangers. There are other people who feel just as paralyzed by family and friends. Different triggers, different ingredients, different levels. The struggle's different, but the struggle's real. Tonight I entitled this talk, The Age of Anxiety. And I did that for two reasons. The first one, because anxiety is not particular to any age or stage of life, you know? You think like sometimes, oh, they're young. They, they don't experience anxiety. No, that's wrong. Oh, well, they've already gone through all of these different stages of life. It must be smooth sailing now. Wrong. I wish anxiety was kind of biased like that. But anxiety is not biased to those kinds of things. So when I was thinking about a title, I was like, oh, yeah, the age of anxiety. What is the age of anxiety? There isn't one. I'm just getting ready to turn 40, and it's followed me my entire life. And sometimes I thought it would be there, and it wasn't. Sometimes I was like, it won't be there, and it was. So what's the age of anxiety? There isn't one. The second reason I came up with that title was because anxiety seems to be on the rise. It seems to be more present, more noticeable, more felt, and more harmful. It's pretty interesting. The latest stats that I could find, one in 14 people have an anxiety disorder. 
impacting their jobs, their relationships, their grades, their life. One in 14. And it probably goes undiagnosed. Now, one in five people will suffer from a severe anxiety disorder in their life. One in five, severe anxiety disorder. In other words, you're not alone. You're not the first person to feel this way. You're not the first person to think these thoughts. And we just need to get a lot better at talking about it. Putting it out there, having conversations, being authentic and honest, kind of displaying it, and honestly being able to help one another. Pinpoint some things and connect each other to resources and help. So, whether you personally struggle with anxiety or not, or you know someone who does, it's my hope tonight that I'm going to tell some stories, and hopefully through some of these stories, you'll be able to grab a hold of something, maybe some insight, maybe some encouragement, maybe some inspiration. It's really my hope through tonight. So a little bit about my story with anxiety. I've always been an anxious person, always, even as a kid. I was that kid. Like, I had to be on time to places, and on time meant early. And if I wasn't early, it kind of drove me secretly crazy. I had so many stomach issues growing up, and we kept thinking it was medical, and I was tested for this, that, and the other. Eventually, um, back in the 80s, the, the word they came up for, they diagnosed me with spastic colon, which seemed kind of harsh. I don't know. They're like... <laughs> It's called IBS now. It goes by an acronym, Irritable Bowel Syndrome, you know, which sounds a lot easier, IBS, than spastic colon. Um, <laughs> I had stomach issues and things, and like that just added um, to the way that I felt growing up. When it came to grades, um, grades drove me really crazy and kept me up and made me nervous. Um, sports, I was never the star. I was always the struggling athlete, you know, um, trying to make the team, trying not to look like a failure, trying to fit in. Um, in high school, I still remember this one teacher. His name was Mr. Good, which I always thought was amazing. Wish I had that name. But Mr. Good would stand outside of his classroom, and I would come into class. I would put my things down at my desk, and I would sit down, and I was the only person in the room at my desk. Everyone was out, still in the hallway, having a good time, passing, doing things. And I remember Mr. Good pulling me aside one day. And he said, Phil, you know, you can be late to class. I won't even dock you. I think you should be late to class. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I don't know. You know, like, I like to be on time. I like to be at my desk and have everything I need to be ready to go. It's, it's who I am. It's like how I'm driven. Um, he tried to talk me into skipping class because he ran Saturday detentions. And he eventually got me to do it. I did it once. Um, and then he was like, I'll just say you came, you know? And I was like, all right. <laughs> like, I don't know how this is going to work. But growing up, I had this thing that I struggled with. And I didn't really know how to put it into words, you know? Um, for me, it was a lot revolving around like loss of appetite, sweating. Um, just obsessive thoughts, focused thinking that I couldn't let go of. I want to tell you one story. In grade school, I went to a friend's grandparents' house, and they had an in-ground pool. I grew up in Illinois, 
And at a dare, I decided to swim the length of the pool. And it was pretty long. And I thought I could do it. And I barely made it. And I came up for air. So I, I, I went under the water. And I'm holding my breath for the length of the pool, is what I'm doing. And I come up at the other side. And I thought, whoa, I don't even know. I'm grasping just for air. Can I get it? And I'm breathing and breathing and breathing. And suddenly, I was overwhelmed with this feeling that I had done something inside my body somehow, and that I was literally going to die because of it. And I couldn't shake it, right? I couldn't shake it. I don't know if I had seen too many shells or about scuba diving or bubbles in my blood or what, but I felt like I had just done something. And for the next hour and a half, I'm at my friend's house, and I can't enjoy myself at all completely sidetracked. I'm thinking about something else. And I'm there. And eventually, I call my parents. And I was supposed to stay the night there. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you need to come get me. I need to come home. What's wrong? Uh, I'm just, I'm just kind of worried. I'm kind of nervous. Like, I can't, you know, and my voice is shaky. And I just can't really hold it together. And they came and got me. And they brought me home. And they were like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I swam the length of the pool. I held my breath. I think there's like bubbles in my bloodstream. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. Like, I'm pretty for sure. And I, and I, you know, and my mom's a nurse. And she's like, Philip, you are not going to die. There are no bubbles in your bloodstream. And I don't trust her. Like, I can't, I can't shake this feeling that's got a hold of me and is stuck inside my head. They were having some meeting in the house. And I laid on the couch the rest of the night convinced something was wrong. And then I had some gas, and I was like, those are the bubbles. Like, it's working. You know, like, things happened. And I would just tell myself this. And honestly, I didn't really shake the feeling or the thought until I woke up the next morning and I was alive. And then I really didn't think about it again. I had this happen to me in so many different contexts and so many different ways growing up. It was a paralyzing thing. Meanwhile, you're there, and you're trying to live your life, <laughs> you know? And you're trying to think, OK, I, I just kind of want to be normal. And like, you know, my other friends aren't acting this way. And what can I do? And so then in settles, like, you, you figure out ways to live and to deal and to manage. I think one of the technical terms is coping mechanisms, right? Now, there's a lot of stereotypical coping mechanisms out there. I think some of them are positive and some of them are bad. I think most often, negative ones come to our mind when we think of coping mechanisms. I think that word has like a negative connotation with it. I think there can be healthy distractions and healthy coping mechanisms. My personal fave growing up, my coping mechanism was pretending I wasn't anxious. That's what I did. Wanted to fit in, wanted to appear normal, wanted to act like it didn't exist. And when I'm alone in my room, I'll have the moment where I break down, where I try and like deal with this. But when I step outside of my room, and when I'm in front of people, and when I'm with others, Phil is a laid back, chill, casual, go with the flow kind of individual. That's what I am. That's how I navigated grade school, middle school, college, 
and I still do it today. I really do. I put off a really solid vibe. It's, a, it's, it's honestly just an intricate form of denial is really all it really is. And, and it's amazing because even nowadays, what's, what's interesting to me is, well, no, I'm going to get there. I'll get there. But the sad part was it wasn't me and it isn't me. And it can leave me feeling not known, alone, and isolated. And it's crazy how that feeling kicks in. Um, during college, I worked at Applebee's for how long, babe? It's my wife in the back. I call her babe. Um, I don't know. I, let's say four days. <laughs> four days. So I'm a waiter at Applebee's. And I stroll in there with my just laid back demeanor. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. Never waited tables in my life. And they're like, oh, you're so good with people. You're so personable. You're so relational. You're going to be a pro at this. Um, my first shift, I literally had a customer look at me and say, you're crashing and burning, man. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I'm not doing as well as they had predicted and I had hoped. And it was like the third or fourth day I'm there. And the people are loving me. And they're feeling like I got this. And so they're like, hey, can you just stay till the end? They let all the newbies go. I'm watching like all the people who've been there just longer than me, but they're still new. They're, they're ducking out of here and they're keeping me. And they're like, you're going to be so great at this and we're just going to give you this. And then they give me this whole section of the restaurant. And I don't know, inside I'm dying. I'm dying. On the outside, you would never know. Never know. And literally, um, I got off of that shift and I called my mother, and I said, I don't know what's happening to me, but I'm shaking. I can't stop. I feel like I can't breathe. My pulse is crazy. I feel like I, I'm crawling in my skin. I don't know what's going on. She's like, you're having a panic attack. And it was like literally the first one that I had felt that unable to function. Um, I quit the next day. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm done with this. Like, you guys are giving me too much responsibility. I can't handle it, I don't feel it. I got another job where I felt a little bit more in control, a little bit more capable, a little bit more able to handle myself. Um, I will always remember Applebee's as my first legitimate panic attack. More recently, um, here in the county, I, was, I had this person I was interacting with and I was going back and forth with them because we had some deadlines approaching and I was trying to get them to do stuff and it was keeping me up and it was driving me a little crazy and Anne could see that happening with me. And so Anne stepped in and she spoke with this person and she said, just so you know, my husband is not as laid back as you think he is. Like, and he, he actually is, is quite an anxious person and he deals with it and that's why he's trying to communicate with you and trying to handle this and settle this and get this taken care of because he will never like tell you this, but on the flip side, it's like wrecking him. There's a cost being paid and he's paying it and it's kind of destroying him slowly. <laughs> and so she stepped in and she did that and I was forever grateful. Um, I now am 39 years old and I spend a lot of time, effort and energy 
persuading and convincing people that I actually deal with anxiety because they can't see it. I've gotten so good at like covering it up and hiding it and putting out a vibe that says, I am not that person. Um, Many times I'm still trying to convince myself that I am that person. I headed up a youth organization here locally for 15 years with my wife. And I was trained to be a Habitat for Humanity person. We took students out of the country once with Habitat. Then I, we went through the training. And then we took students out of the country by ourselves. And uh, my wife decided to stay here, stateside. <laughs> and I went. And I had 16 high school students in Guatemala City and in the back roads of Guatemala with me were working. And I took two adults who I love to death, but they were a little too laid back. And we were there. And parents still to this day, they're like, Phil, I would trust you taking my kid anywhere. And I get it. It's because I worry about them nonstop. I can act spontaneously. I can be level-headed. I'm super responsible. But it all comes at a cost for me. And when I'm out of the country with 16 students, I don't eat. I almost didn't eat the entire time we were there. I couldn't. Physically sick to my stomach. Couldn't make it happen. Like, there was a cost. And when I come back, I almost always get sick. And it knocks me down for a period of days. And while I can turn it on and appear like I'm the guy, you know, and they're like, oh, we're going to hike a volcano and there's active lava. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> like I'm taking high school students by that. And their first question is, can we throw stuff in the lava? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, you've always been taught there's not a stupid question. That's one. <laughs> but, you know, I, I kind of navigated those experiences in a way that allowed me to do them, but there was still that price I paid. I'll never forget, several of you in the room know that I did this. Um, I was hired to do 911 dispatch in this county. This is, this is an extreme example of me convincing myself I'm not a person who deals with anxiety. Okay, This is why I'm telling you this story. I, you know, I passed all the tests with flying colors. Like Again, I'm spontaneous. I'm level-headed. I'm good under pressure. Like, I can function very well. I stepped into this job, and they were like, you're killing it. You're crushing it. You're great at this job. And then I would go home, and my wife would be like, you're a wreck. What is wrong? And I'm popping some medication to try and sleep at night. And like the day before I would go back to work, I'm sweating. And I'm like, and I can't even be with my family because I'm so nervous about going back in there. And then I go back in there, and I just flip it on. and I function, and then I flip it back off when I leave, and I crash. And it happened, and eventually I went in there, and it was the hardest thing in my life, because I love all the people there, and I love what they do, and I love how they help us, but like, I have to own that I can't pay that price and do that job because of what I'm experiencing when I'm there, and how I feel internally. The turmoil and the sickness was almost unbearable. Now, I think we can all agree that people shouldn't wear masks. They shouldn't pretend to be who they aren't. I think we've seen enough destruction in our world happen when people put that kind of facade up. 
So we need people to be honest. We need people to be authentic about who they are. I think we need people to be honest about the anxiety. Just because you have anxiety, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're not a strong, capable person. Like, I'm very strong, and I'm very capable. But I do have certain triggers. There are ingredients in my life like that can cook up anxiety. And I experience it on different levels. It's just who I am and how I'm made. When I talk about triggers, uh, for me, <laughs> immediately, like if you had to say, like, what triggers anxiety in you the most? Health and safety. I mean, at one point in my life, I was like, you know what I should be? I, there has to be a job out there called the worst case scenario expert. Like, <laughs> if, if, if you wanted to, like, create something or be like, Phil, come tell me what could go wrong, like, with this. That's me. Like, hire me. $99 an hour, I'm yours. And I will make sure we bust all the holes through that thing. Health and safety for me, just well-being, um, definitely triggers something deep inside of me. And I've noticed that it can, take, it can veer me off track very quickly, quite quickly, in fact. Um, death, loss, um, there's a lot there for me that bubbles up just right now as I'm talking about it. I can feel it. Um, and it's not just my own health and safety or well-being. It's others, you know? Taking those students out of the country, that's, that's rough. When my boys get sick, and if you would come around my house and you would see, like, you'd be like, wow, like, Phil's a little bit on edge. What's, what's up? Like, oh, my boys are sick. He had a 104.7 fever. And I didn't take his temperature. <laughs> you know, like, there are so many things there. When I talk about ingredients, what I mean for me, again, um, food, sleep, um, hobbies, stress, rest, um, healthy distractions. I'm not saying these are like causes of my anxiety, but what I have noticed is when I experience anxiety at quite an intense level, I can almost always point to some of those ingredients not happening for me in a positive way, right? So when I experience the kind of knock-down, drag-out anxiety in my life, there's a good chance I wasn't eating. There's a good chance that I wasn't sleeping. There's a good chance some of these ingredients were cooking that up in my life. Had I been taking care of myself a little bit more, I might not have experienced quite to the same level. Does that make sense? For me, that's what I've noticed on, on in my person. Like, definitely, definitely. Um, it was almost, I, I call it like category three, category five, you know, like, it's like, um, I'll just tell you one story. Like, uh, with students, uh, we had this night, and it was a science night, and I'm in charge of it. And so, like, I'm trying to wow these grade school kids. And it's getting harder and harder to do, by the way. So you're, like, trying to wow them with, like, amazing things and feats and science things and just blowing their mind. And so, like, I'm researching, I'm typing, I'm practicing. That one doesn't work. This one works. And I put in, like, a week of solid research trying to build this night. And one of the experiments I did involved dry ice, dry ice. And it was awesome, by the way. It was cool. Like, all the kids were like, this is sweet. We made these bubbles, and they popped, and it was cool. And I called up kids, and they're all sitting on the floor. Now, after that night, 
again, leading up to that, I've been completely immersed in this and only this. I haven't had any me time. I haven't been taking care of myself right. I haven't really been eating. I haven't been sleeping well. I've been pushing the boundaries on pretty much every level just to get to that day, to do this thing and to get through it. And then afterwards, I was like, all those kids, like, so like 60 kids sitting on the ground. We did this dry ice thing. And then I just Google something. I mean, dry ice, like negative effects, impacts, all this kind of stuff, right? And then they're like, oh, well, prolonged exposure, you know, can actually make you sick and can do these different things. And I'm like, oh my God. And then like the gas, of course, like travels down and gets on the floor. So then I'm like, well, if they were sitting in chairs, they would have been way better off. We had them sitting on the ground, so it's like just right there. And I start talking to Ian, I'm like, are you worried about this? She's like, no. <laughs> no. It was like for 15 minutes, Phil. Maybe 10. I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, if one of those kids gets sick, just one, just one. I mean, if one of them gets hurt. And I start like going down this path. And I was there for at least a day and a half. <laughs> Waiting for some parent to call me and tell me their kid was sick. It was my fault. And how could I do this? And why would that happen? And like, I mean, the loop played. I talked with my mom, the nurse. She said it was crazy. Like, I'm, you know, like, and I go down. And this is, I, I want to stress that because like sometimes it's completely irrational. 100% irrational. And I can stand here and tell you right now, it was totally irrational. Couldn't shake it, though. Couldn't shake it. It was real. It was more real than anything to me for that day and a half. I can't even tell you. And I couldn't do anything else. All I could think about was that. And um, I, I just sat in that space for a while. So when, I, when I'm talking about levels, I'm talking about like the intensity level. And for me, I was like, man, that could have been like a category two episode for me if I had been like sleeping and maybe like taking care of myself. Um, but I pushed the extreme boundaries and I felt like it was like a category five for me. And I felt like I just went down the hole. And then slowly but surely, no parents called and it all worked itself out. And it was the most amazing trick of the night, you know, and like it's the one they always want to see again. Um, the levels, like it's like how long does it take you to bounce back? How deep do you go? How intense is the war inside your head? Do you really just get stuck in the negatives? You know? Can anybody pull you back out? Can my wife say, Phil, you're just being ridiculous? This isn't, you know, it's not, it's not real. It's very unreal, in fact. You know? Now, over a period of seven years here in the county, I had three other stories that hit me in different ways that I just wanted to highlight for you, but uh one of them for me was my, my heart rate went up extremely, and it was, it was a resting heart rate of about 142 beats per minute on a daily basis for about a month and a half. Um, it was super scary for me. And I worried about health. And it's a physical, tangible thing that's with you all the time, and I can feel my heart beating that fast. That didn't help anything. It's a severe trigger for me. And long story made short, I, I went to this doctor who's a Buddhist, and I love him. And he was like, oh my god, you need silence in your life. And I'm like, silence? 
what's that? Um, he's like, you just need 15 minutes. Just have a break in your day. 15 minutes where you can just try not to think about things. And you can just unplug and you can kind of turn off. Um, and I went through some interesting experiences over that month and a half, but I was more and more convinced, like, it's a huge trigger of mine health. and It didn't help me at all. But there are ingredients that can help me um, when I go to those places. And a 15-minute break was one of them. And trying to embrace silence a little bit every day. I'm not the guy who says you, go, you should go sit for an hour, because it's like, that doesn't exist in my day. I don't know about you, but it doesn't. I've got three boys. Like, I have to pay people for silence. Like, <laughs> it's kind of how it goes in my world. But definite ingredients, definite ingredients. Um, I've got this sleeve tattoo here that I started um, one day in September, and I got half of it done. And the whole symbol behind it for me was I needed a physical representation on my body that I could see that would tell me to rest, that would tell me to slow down, and that would tell me to not freak out. That's what this means to me. And I can tell you more about it some other time if you want to take me out to lunch. No, but um, <laughs> we can get together and I can share you more details about it. But here's the crazy thing. I know these things about myself and so I'm getting this tattoo. And while I'm getting the tattoo, it's no joke. My phone rings and it's my dad and I silence it. About two more minutes goes by and it's my dad again and I silence it. And now I'm feeling horrible and nervous. About five more minutes goes by, phone rings again, and it's my sister. And I silence it, and I look at the tattoo artist, and I'm like, I just need a minute. I think I need to go call my family. Um, so I go outside, and as I'm walking outside, my mom calls. And I'm going to do my best just to hold it back a little bit, because um, everything's great. Can I preface with that? That's going to make me feel better right now, too. Um, my mom was calling me to tell me that she just learned that she has stage four lymphoma. And I'm telling you, it was divine that I was there getting this tattoo. If that had been even a year earlier in my life, I can't imagine how I would have felt hearing that news and what it would have meant for me for the next four years of my mother's life. Because the feelings before that point that had gripped me, um, I mean, they were about like science experiments, <laughs> like some of them, you know? And this was my mom. And this was going to be something that was going to be really hard to go through. And so I, I completed half of the tattoo, and then I left the other half until after she had completed chemo. Um, because I just kept looking at it. And I kept telling myself, you know, don't, don't go to that place. Don't go to that place. And a huge inspiration for me, I do believe in a divine presence. Um, for me, it's God. And I would pray. I would pray. And I would pray. And I would say, you know what, God, it's not going to help me to worry about this. It's not going to help me at all to worry about this. In fact, it's really going to kind of wreck me to worry about this. So I'm going to have to let you worry about this. <laughs> I'm going to have to give it to someone else 
because I can't shoulder it. I know what it's going to do to me, and I know my mom doesn't want that to happen to me. And so that was a huge point um, in my life and in learning some of those ingredients for me and things that I can do on a daily basis, like pray and pause and also be able to give something away. Lots of times when my boys get sick now, I'll look at Ann and I'll be like, you got this? And she'll be like, oh yeah, yep, yep, yep. And she has to say it a little bit more convincing than that to let me actually hand it entirely away. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm giving this to you because I can't, I can't hold it. I can't. And she's like, I have it, I have it. That's been super helpful for me with some of my triggers, some of the things I know that kind of get me going. Tonight, I want to be able to leave you with some things. I've told a lot of stories. The things I guess I would say for you is um, attempt to learn your triggers. Figure out what they are. Um, you probably know some of them. If you spend time thinking about them, though, there are probably some deeper ones, too. For me, public speaking, not a trigger. For some of you, it is. <laughs> like, you'd be nervous. Like, you know, it would bring up all kinds of things. It's not for me. Isn't that crazy? I'm telling you, we have different things. Something else that's helped me is um, helping other people with their triggers. Strangely therapeutic for me in ways. Being a voice, being an ear, being someone they can trust and talk to and lean on. Um, I officiate a lot of weddings. And if you've ever seen weddings, man, behind the scenes, it can go crazy town. <laughs> and um, one of the things that I love to do is to be that calm presence for these people. Because weddings don't get me worked up at all. I love them. And plan Bs are great. And, and we just work through them, you know? And it is strangely therapeutic for me in ways to help other people with their triggers. I would say watch your ingredients. Pay attention to what you're cooking up in your life. Pay attention. Pay attention, man. So many times, so much of the intensity and depth for me is strangely lessened or averted just by paying attention to those things and looking at those ingredients. I would say develop some healthy distractions. Healthy distractions allow you to really believe and see that there is more to life than whatever that anxiety is building up in you. There's more. There's more. And there is tomorrow or next week. There is more. I would say be able to turn off. In our ever-connected, always-on world, it's getting hard. It's getting hard. You've got to find a way to turn off, even if it's for 15 minutes going to be beneficial for you. I mean, we're learning all kinds of things about what social media and the devices are doing to our children. You know? And you're thinking, well, it hasn't done that much to me. I've only had it for, I mean, I was going back. I'm like, I didn't have a phone until after college. And my sons have them in middle school. And they can't escape any of the chatter, any of the noise. Sometimes home doesn't even feel like a safe haven, right? To where you could get away from that crap. It's hard, but 15 minutes, I would encourage you just to turn off, find that break a day. If you need to go for a walk, whatever it is, if it's immediately after work because you can't do something there, 
Another big thing, remind yourself of past stories. This is a huge one for me. Remind yourself of when you thought that worst case scenario was going to happen and it didn't. And it was totally 100% irrational. And you can stand there and say that now. Even better, remind yourself of the story when the worst case scenario did happen and you're still here. And you're breathing and you're good. Remind yourself of those past stories. They're huge. I would say surround yourself with some people who know you, people who you trust, people who can speak truth into your life. It doesn't always help. Like, it doesn't always make a huge difference. Like, my wife, I love talking with her, and I love her telling me things and telling me not to freak out, don't think about that, whatever. And she'll often say, like, I didn't even feel like it helped. And I'm like, well, it kind of did. I mean, it didn't stop the process. But it's so good to know that you're there. It's so good to know, too, that I can be authentic and honest with her. And I can really be who I am. Because so many times, I turn it on. I can do that with my parents, too. And I can also do that with God. For me, prayer is a huge one. Prayer, meditation, um, whatever it is that, that can help ground you in understanding that Sometimes what you're experiencing is unreality. And if you can get pulled back down to the moment and the present and just be there, so worthwhile. So worthwhile. Um, herbal supplements. Big fan. <laughs> uh, I've got some herbal supplements that I take that promote like mental calm and peace. Um, I take those on a daily basis have for a long time. Um, it really, really helps me. And then, <laughs> I put this down here. I'm always such a big fan of journaling. I know it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of nerdy, but I like it. Um, a happy place journal is what I kind of keep. And I go back to those moments and those things and I read them. Sometimes it's enough to jolt me, jerk me, nudge me, push me out of my current state. And then there's always professional help. I'm a huge fan of saying like every person in the world should have a therapist. <laughs> like all of us should have that person, you know, who's helping us navigate some of the stuff of life that's tough to go through and tough to, to just find your way. And so anxiety seems to be more prevalent now than ever. And I would love to stand up here and list all the reasons and we love to push blame. But let's just call it like it is. Anxiety is more prevalent now than ever. I mean, that's where we're at. That's what we're dealing with. So I think our ability to recognize it in ourselves and in others and in our loved ones needs to increase. We need to meet the demand, right? Conversations and discussions like this need to happen more. They need to be more open. They need to be on the rise themselves. So I want to encourage you to speak up to share your story. I personally believe in more than surviving anxiety. I've seen a lot of books out there, I've read a lot of things, you know, and they're like, survive anxiety. And I'm like, I feel like it's with me. I feel like it's with me for the long haul. I really do. But how can I thrive with it in my life? Knowing it's kind of a part of me and really live my life, not survival, 
But here goes the word, right? And you've all heard it. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, it's a new one for you. Thrival, right? <laughs> so it's not just surviving, but it's like I'm thriving, and, and I'm living with this, and I'm making it work. It's possible. It's possible. And I don't know where you fall on the spectrum of anxiety. I know there's people like who, they're way over here, and it feels pretty minimal in their life. And then I'm probably like here in the middle, and then there's people like way over here as well. Because again, different triggers, different ingredients, different levels. I always end every more to life night with uh, just kind of like a little blessing, kind of like a till next time. So I'm going to do that now for you. And then I'll tell you and remind you to grab dessert because my wife left. And there's a lot back there. So you guys have some work ahead of you. <laughs> so anyway, um, so until next time, May each of you become aware of your anxiety and the impact that it has on your life and even those around you. I encourage you not to pretend. I implore you not to embrace unhealthy coping mechanisms. May you learn all of your triggers and may you cultivate some good ingredients to cook up more peace in your life. Pray, meditate, and when you feel overwhelmed, may you have the courage to speak up, share your story, and ask for help. Because you're not alone. I promise you're not alone. And thrival is just out ahead of you. Amen. So, thank you guys for being here tonight. And more to life. Uh, we've got another one coming up on the 27th. It's going to be a little bit more festive. And Holiday-ish. We have candy canes here tonight. Woo. Um, but, again, if you ever need help, if you ever need pointed in a direction, connected to services, um, give me a call. Look me up. Talk with Building Hope. Find information. Our county has it, which is what's incredible, you know? Um, I think we just need to be talking a lot more and connecting a lot more with each other about these kinds of issues. So I want to thank you for showing up tonight, being here. I'm going to play some music. You guys have to put a dent in the desserts for me, if you please could, before you leave. And uh, as always, have a great evening, and uh, we'll hope to see you next time. Don't forget to take a mug or a tumbler. Take a tumbler. There's more than six. They're in the box underneath. Take a free one and fill out the sheets if you want to be included on more, more to life happenings and talks. We'll see you guys next time.